today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, 2. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So when we began this sermon series in the one another's of the New Testament, Pastor Chris, he wandered into a, a bit of a controversial topic when he made the statement that the ultimate team sport was baseball. Now, I alluded to this last week when I touched jokingly upon bowling, but I've heard from many of you that you disagree with what was said. <laughs> Some of you feel like, feel like football or hockey. I, I want you to know I see you and I hear you. Now, I don't, I don't want to wander into such a hot-button-type topic th this morning, but I, I, do want, I, I do want to wade into the waters of what is perhaps the best children's program of all time. Now, now some, of you, some of you might think of classics like Sesame Street or, or the Smurfs. Those are good shows, but not, not the best. So some of you might think I, I, more, more currently like Odd Squad or Wild Kratz. Some of you might think I'm going to argue for Bluey, uh, which I've come to believe is more a show for adults that happens to entertain and educate kids. That's not where I'm going. I want to argue for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, it didn't, didn't have a flashy beginning. It was a, it was a simple theme song sung by Mr. Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor, as he changed into some sneakers and a simple sweater. The, the characters, other than Mr. Rogers on that show, they were certainly not spectacular. They were a, the, the, not the make-believe ones, but, but the, the, the real people. There was a common mailman and, and, and a polite police officer. The special effects, they were hand puppets not some amazing cartoons. And the best thing about the show, the thing that stands out, is the words Mr. Rogers used. He spoke kind of slowly, and he didn't say a lot. But the words he did say, they had power. They communicated things like honesty and honor and kindness, and compassion. So there was, a, there was a point where federal funding for, 
programs like Mr. Rogers was in jeopardy. And so Fred Rogers, the Presbyterian minister who played Mr. Rogers on TV, he testified to a committee within Congress about the importance of words. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs that I feel is very important? So he referenced working with a child, asking, what do you do with with feelings of anger when you're mad? And then, Mr. Rogers, he continued sharing the words to a song on the show. What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so bad that you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right, what do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to. I can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine, and know that the feeling deep inside that helps us become what we can, for a girl can someday be a lady, and a boy can be someday a man. Fred Rogers was using words of eloquence to describe the power of words. So this morning, we are reflecting on the power of words, the power of the words that we speak to one another as Christians. It comes in the middle of what we've said is a sermon series where we are reflecting on something called the one another's of Scripture, passages that teach Christians how we are to relate to one another. We are to serve one another. We are to love one another. We are to bear with one another. And as Christians, there are particular ways that we are instructed to speak to one another. As we explore ways we are to speak one another, we'll find the words we use are intended to be an overflow of what we have experienced in our relationship with Christ. So our big idea this morning is the words we speak to one another express what we have experienced in Christ. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open it up to the passage read earlier, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. In this section of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is getting practical on how Christians are to relate to one another, to preserve unity in the church, and how we are to relate to one another to encourage growth in others and growth in the church. Now, he touches on far more actions and behaviors than how we are to speak to one another, but we're going to limit our scope to that particular topic. And even with those restrictions in mind, we have much to explore. To that end, we're going to pass through these verses a few times and consider the following. Words to avoid. Sometimes we Christians tend to speak like non-Christians. Paul identifies ways we speak to or of one another that we should reject. Words to adopt, these are words that we should use when we speak to one another, and how our words point to Christ. We'll talk about how the words we are encouraged to use, 
much more than being pleasant and polite, point to the glory of our Savior. So let's work through the passage, looking at some of the language to identify words to avoid first. In verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, put away lying. In verse 28, No foul language should come from your mouth. Some of you might be saying, "Uh uh-oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible. We'll, We'll come back to that. In verse 31, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. Okay, so Paul here is providing a contrast of how not to use words and how to use words. As we consider his instructions on how not to use words, a question we should ask, what what characterizes the words that Paul is discouraging us from using? I think we can see that the type of words that, that he's discouraging us from using, that he's telling us to avoid, tend to be focused on lifting up self or tearing others down. That word lying, it is referencing ways we conceal truth about ourselves from one another. The ways we manipulate words to avoid taking responsibility, telling half-truths, or omitting words. It could also be referencing how we sometimes use words to shy away from being honest with one another to avoid conflict or confrontation. The English Standard Version translation says it this way, therefore, put away all falsehoods. Falsehoods are ways we are dishonest or less than honest with one another. Ultimately, we would be using words to deceive others to help ourselves. So we look good or we remain comfortable. These words are not others-focused. They're not intended to build others up, but to help us build ourselves up. Foul language. While swear words could fall into this category, Paul has a broader scope in mind. Foul means corrupting. These words produce bad fruit. So a parent or a coach or another authority figure, they move beyond critique to words that cause hurt and harm. You're an idiot. You're so stupid. You're dumb. That's foul language. Racial slurs or words that are crass, that's foul language. Words that reduce others to sexual objects, that's foul language. Using words to label people according to failures and flaws. She's a nag. He's a complainer. Rather than words to encourage, these words demean and dehumanize. So while corrupting talk, while it may include swear words, foul language, it really has something different in mind. Now those words in verse 31, bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander, malice. When might someone to, to be, be prone to use those kinds of words? When someone is pleased with someone else? Or when someone is frustrated with another and has grown tired of their actions or demeanor or behavior? 
So a, a preview of words that we will adopt that contrast this. These words express a lack of kindness, a lack of compassion, and withholding forgiveness. Rather than an ally, rather than being for someone, they are perceived to be an adversary. There is a lack of generosity and a lack of grace. Now, sometimes these words are spoken out loud to others, as is, as is the case with slander and malice, but sometimes they are held within, as is the case with some forms of bitterness and anger. Either way, these words do their damage. They, then they seek to dishonor and divide. So, so the types of language to reject or avoid are words to deceive, words to dishonor, and words to divide. As you encounter this list, I'm guessing you can think of obvious examples that fall into these categories. I mean, outright lying about actions and behaviors. Those are words to deceive. Language like, she always makes me angry. Those are words to dishonor and maybe even to divide. They exalt self as they absolve responsibility. But I want to move from the simple to the more subtle. Ways, ways we may adopt this type of language and not be aware of it. So someone comes to you with a question, and, and, and it's not your, in my case, it's not your wife or your daughter coming to you a question like, do you like my hair or do you like my sweater when I don't like it? I mean, my response, how do you want me to answer that? The, this question that comes to you is something that is much more serious. It's a, about a significant decision that will impact someone's finances or job situation or marital status. They're, they're asking you for counsel. And maybe you have some concerns or you, you just really have no idea whether or not that is a good decision. As we get to words to adopt, a sneak preview of where we're going, we're going to talk about using words of kindness and words to honor and words rooted in honesty. Sometimes we experience this tension between being kind and being honest. We, we think to be honest would be to not be kind or to not honor. So we choose to be dishonest. We, we default to what might be falsehoods and foul language. We see examples of this on, on social media sometimes. Someone announces they are getting married or experiencing a drastic life change, and we feel the need to respond with words of kindness. Congratulations, I'm so excited for you. How do we know we should be using those words? Because we want to be perceived as pleasant and polite to exalt self? Or because we genuinely know this decision is a good thing. If I were to announce tomorrow that I'm moving to Texas, I'm sure some of you will respond, I'm so excited for you, but you shouldn't. I would be moving to escape or abandoning my calling to, to the people of First City Church. So back to the question where someone comes to you for counsel and we may be in the dark or have some concerns. To absolve ourselves of responsibility, to wash our hands, sometimes we appeal to the Lord. Hey, go ahead, move forward, accept that job offer. Go ahead and try to purchase that house. Say yes to getting married. God will close the door if he doesn't want you to do it. 
I'm pretty sure Scripture teaches that God allows us to enter doors to pursue sin and foolish decisions. God will close the door if he doesn't want you to do it is not usually helpful. Rather than ask someone hard questions and enter into potential conflict, are you thinking about how this decision will form you or form your kids? Are you thinking about how this decision will affect your ability to give time or money to others or to the church? Is this decision more about building up you uh, uh, or, and about building up your family or more about building others up and exalting Christ? In seeking to be polite and pleasant, we shy away and shrink back. We use words to avoid conflict and confrontation. Paul wants us to use our words differently, rejecting such forms of falsehoods and foul language. So to exalt Christ, to build others up, we reject words to deceive, words to dishonor, and words to divide. Let's turn our attention from words to avoid to words to adopt. As we do, let's return to look at at the contrasts. In verse 25, the author says, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. So not words to deceive, but words of honesty. In verse 28, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Not words to dishonor, but words to honor. In verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave us. So not words to divide, but words to unite. So Paul encourages Christians to use and adopt this type of language, words of honesty, words to honor, and words to unite. So the a commonality with the, the type of language that is being upheld here is that it expresses some sort of vulnerability. In the case of honesty, we are no longer concealing what is true from one another. Rather than being self-protective, we trust others to the point that we are real and authentic. We use words to ask others for help. And doing so, we reject autonomy, self-sufficiency, and self-reliance. In the case of words of honor, words that encourage and words that express grace and gratitude, in some ways this is an extension of honesty because it isn't It isn't flattery or or kindness that is dishonest or offering praise to be perceived as pleasant. Genuinely taking time to encourage others for the sake of honoring others does not benefit you at all. In fact, it costs you something. You sacrifice time and resources and energy and words to bless another, not expecting anything in return. And in the case of words to unite, when we express kindness and compassion and forgiveness, we are releasing bitterness. We are releasing our right 
to be angry, and we are releasing our frustration with others. Just to clarify, this does not mean there are no action or no consequences. Just to be, let me back up. Let me get a hold of my words. So just to clarify, releasing anger, releasing bitterness, extending kindness, extending forgiveness, that does not mean there are no consequences for actions that hurt us. It simply means that we no longer see others as adversaries. We are for them. This type of positive communication, words of honesty, words to honor, words to unite. It is to be normal in the church. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. The, the English Standard Version says it this way. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So this, this way of relating to one another, blessing others with our words, it is one area where Christians are instructed to be a leader. We could maybe say this should be an area of competition. If I see a brother or sister in in Christ, let's say somebody like Jake Waddy, who often uses words to honor others, to take the lead, to outdo him. He's a standard of comparison for me. I want to honor others better than the way Jake honors others. I don't, I don't know of any other place in Scripture this is true. We're called to be generous, but we're not called to outdo one another in being generous. We're called to forgive, but not called to outdo one another in extending forgiveness. The language Paul is using here, words to encourage, words to honor, words to unite, are words of affirmation and words to offer and extend to others to help them experience healing and wholeness. They are far too uncommon culturally. We would rather use words to criticize and cancel others. And if we do think something positive, we often keep it to ourselves. I mean, hopefully the person knows. If we're not criticizing and critiquing, they're doing a good job. No news is good news. We tend to use the words Paul teaches us to avoid, and we avoid the words that Paul teaches us to adopt. So events like graduations or promotion ceremonies in the military or retirement gatherings, they may be an exception, but, but in large part, we rarely take opportunities to communicate words of honor, words of appreciation to others. Rather than, than express honor, we make fun of. We veil our appreciation in sarcasm or words to mock. Rather than encourage, the words are intended to demean. That's a type of foul language. If you've been to a wedding reception lately, the moment where the, the best man and the maid or matron of honor speaks words to affirm the, the, the two wedding parties, it has become something drastically different. A moment to toast, to speak words of honor and to encourage, in many cases, has become a roast. A roast is a moment to mock and tear down and make fun of. 
It is a moment where the best man or maid or matron of honor is attempting to show how funny they can be. A moment to honor has become a moment to dishonor. What has become of what in many ways is a secular gathering is one thing. But even in the church, extending words of honor, it is something far too rare. So one of the, one of the things we're trying to practice at the Gardner Home and as a gospel community is publicly honoring others with words. So when the gospel community that meets in my house got ready to send out Tony Majewski uh, several months ago, some of you know, know him as Papa Tony, we got ready to send him to a new gospel community meeting in Iowa, we took time to share words of how we appreciated him. Tony's with us this morning. I want to invite you into what, what this experience is like. And so I want to honor him. Tony, will you stand up? Tony, stand up. This is what you get. This is what you get for being here this morning. Tony, I know you are a humble man. Having you singled out and honoring you like this is not something you want at all. But I want to tell you how much we appreciate you. When we planted First City Church, you sacrificed time with your family to give to this family. You, you, you sacrificed time with your biological family to care for the kids of this church and to be present and encourage many of us. Thank you for doing that. My, my daughters very much in the absence of a father that is a grandfather, look to you as that person. Thank you for being that, that person to us. And so thank you for who you are, Tony. When we gathered as a gospel community, it was emotional. That there are there were lots of tears shared. And when we got done, Tony said, I had no idea I had such an impact on others. I had no idea these things were true about me. We, of course, shared many other things. Honest words to honor, not to flatter. They build others up. Those words have great power. I sometimes receive texts to encourage and to honor. that The language moves beyond a general thanks for your presence in my life to something more specific. Thank you for when you entered into my temptations with sexual sin. Thanks for praying for me when I was down. Thanks for saying some hard things that I needed to hear. I, I get those types of texts and they seem so foreign to me. My mother and father didn't do that. My, my coaches didn't do that. My supervisors at work didn't do that. They criticized and scrutinized, which is fine, but they avoided encouraging and honoring. That type of language should be normal in the church. We should outdo one another in that type of thing. Being on the lookout for ways to encourage others. Celebrating evidences of grace. I'm saying this because we may not think that they matter, but they do. I don't want you to send me those types of texts. Send one another those types of texts. Better yet, call one another. 
Sit down with one another and have coffee and look people in the eyes to express words of encouragement and words to honor. So we've talked about how not to use words and how to use words. Now let's talk about how our words point to Christ. Let me reread Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 and through Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and flagrant, fragrant offering to God. So after providing this practical advice on how we are to relate to one another as Christian, which includes words to avoid and words to adopt, Paul turns his attention to what Christ has done for us. The point he is making when we use our words a particular way, words of honesty, words to honor, and words to unite, we are demonstrating Christ's character and compassion towards sinners like us. We are expressing how we are loved by Jesus. And that love, it is changing and transforming us. Another way to say this, our words to others express what we have experienced in Christ. Our actions and our words reflect what we have experienced in and through our relationship with Jesus. A Christian seeks to relate to others a particular way because his or her heart has been captured by the goodness of the gospel. If you were here last Sunday, you know we prayed over people who have struggled with addictions. In doing so, we invited people to stand and say, pray for me. I struggle or have struggled with substances or sexual sin. A number of individuals in this community were willing to do that, to, to say, I have dealt with sin patterns that are destructive to me and destructive to those around me. I want people in this church to know the truth. And I know beyond a Sunday morning, confession of sin also takes place in other contexts. Gospel community gatherings, over coffee, through texts, and Bible studies. When people choose to do this, they are professing and declaring something of what they have experienced in Christ. Let me read from chapter 8 of the Gospel of John. As he was saying these things, Many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, uh, apart from Christ, you and I will use words to conceal truth, to deceive, to manipulate, to, to shy away from conflict and confrontation. In Christ, having experienced the truth of Christ, we use words differently. Speaking words of honesty is not a way to exalt self, but to say we have been captivated by the power of the gospel. We no longer want to walk in darkness. We want to walk in truth because God doesn't lie, because we believe him, because his words communicate truth. Christians do too. Christians are honest with their words. Here's counselor Ed Welch. Think for a moment about the alternative. What if God lied at just one point? Even if it were a small, even if it were just a small deception, everyone who puts his trust in Christ would be without hope. 
If he is not absolutely faithful and true, our faith is foolishness. Foolishness. Truth is essential in the way God relates to us. This is why we speak the truth. Since God is truth, we, his offspring, are called to imitate him and be truth tellers. It is one way that God's people are recognized. Our words to others express what we have experienced in Christ. The individuals who stood up were pointing to Christ, willing to say, I struggle with sin. They were imitating Christ as a truth teller. But, but, but that moment was not only a testimony to those who stood up. It was also a testimony to the words that are often spoken to one another in this con- congregation. That this is a people that extends forgiveness. That, that this is a people that proclaims you are not defined by your sin. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I feel honored that individuals trusted the people of our church enough to stand up. I got to tell you, that, that, is, that is abnormal. It's one thing for people to stand up and be honest at an AA meeting or a Christian recovery meeting. It is another in a room full of people from church, people who are often perceived to be more clean and more sinless and more spiritual than we are. It's a testimony that you are a people that, that extend grace and communicate forgiveness to one another. The most powerful words in our lives, Thomas included this in his call to worship, the most powerful words in our lives are words spoken over us by Christ. It is finished. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are my beloved children. A Christian uses words to forgive others and build others up because he knows he has been taken from the depths of the pit and put up on a solid rock. A Christian knows he or she has been delighted in. A Christian knows Jesus pursued her even when she was an adversary, even when she was weak. Because we understand this, because this is what we have experienced in Christ, in the same way that Christ has been kind and compassionate to us, when we were struggling and really of no use to him, we express words of kindness and compassion to others who are struggling, who sometimes may be of no use to us. The way we use our words imitates to our brothers and sisters in Christ the way God acted and spoke over us. So as we conclude, I I want you to consider the words you use. In what ways might you need to use your words differently? How might you need to repent of using words Paul teaches us to avoid or not using words Paul teaches us to adopt? The words we use often do a poor job building others up and exalting Christ. We tell white lies. We have thoughts of bitterness and anger towards others. And and maybe that happens because of the words that we are prone to listen to. What we are listening to what we are captivated by and captured by, we will be compelled to imitate. It will impact how we speak to others. And so maybe the words you listen to are that you are angry and depressed. You're a fraud. You're a failure. That you should have it together more. 
Or maybe the words you listen to tell you that you're a pretty good person. You, you only need a little bit of kindness and a little bit of compassion. And so you only extend a little bit of kindness and compassion to others. See, Christians can sometimes use words like non-Christians. And perhaps that is a reflection of the words that are forming us. That's a burden that Paul seems to have. As you consider the language you use, what might it indicate about the words that are forming you? Ephesians 2 says this, He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. These words are God's words to us. As Christians, these are the words that have the most power in our lives. God loves you. God delights in you. God forgives you. God was compassionate and had kindness towards you, not because you had something to offer, but when you had nothing to offer and nothing to give. These are the types of words Paul is burdened to form us and for us to ruminate ruminate on, that we may use words to express what we have experienced in Christ to others. Some of you may have quibbled with me beginning the sermon this morning using a quote from Fred Rogers that appeals to the power within to exercise self-control over, over anger. I mean, that language could appeal to an atheist or a Muslim or a Buddhist. I use that quote to illustrate the power of words, not the power of words rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mr. Rogers was appealing to common humanity. The words Christians express to one another move beyond. They are words that reflect the power we have experienced in our encounters with Christ. And so rather than appealing to common humanity or common grace, the Apostle Paul is appealing to special grace. The richness of what we have experienced in Christ. These words of special grace, these are the words that in Christ have the most power in our lives. May these be the words that we listen to and ruminate on. May those words form the way we relate to one another, that we may be a people who adopt words of honesty, words to honor, and words to unite. Let's pray.